Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. Jay, how you doing? I am doing good. I am having a wonderful day. The sun is shining. It actually looks like spring for the first time over here where I am. And mm-hmm. uh, I am definitely, definitely loving it. I have a couple of very important questions for you, Britton. Oh my God. Let me take a deep breath. Gotta get ready for it. So <laughs> yesterday I was on Coffee and Cauldron's podcast. Hello to Robin and Maria. Thank you for having me on. And they had a wonderful couple of questions that I think are uh, very important these days. And it's a, it all centers around your likes and your dislikes right now. And so I'll ask you the first one. I'm supposed to say it in a phone sex operator voice, but I don't believe I actually have one. But we'll find out. The first oh, question is Britton. What is stirring your cauldron right now? Sagebrush buttercups. Oh, yes. That's a good one. Yes. So I live in a high desert steppe and spring arrives kind of late up here. So the first flower to herald spring here in the high des is the sagebrush buttercup. Mm. And the moment that I see them, that means that spring is like well and truly here. So I saw some the other day. I saw one tiny little flower in the middle of the sagebrush and I freaked out. I screamed. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) You knew then and there that it was on. It's on. So I went for a walk yesterday and I found a huge patch of them. If you've not seen a buttercup, they are a small, for the most part, small little yellow flower. There's many yellow flowers. They're in the um, ranunculus. That is their, or that's their first uh, Latin word or name rather is ranunculus. So I I like to say that's ranunculus. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, And I love that it's a buttercup that's making you happy. That is so sweet and wonderful. That's, that's good. That's good vibes for this episode. Yeah, and I'm hoping to uh, do a flower essence of this buttercup, hopefully on the spring equinox. Yeah, what would that mm-hmm. what would that impart? Like a sagebrush buttercup essence. So what I've been thinking about, I know this sounds kind of cheesy, maybe cliche, but new beginnings. I mm-hmm. mean, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of Aries season. Mm-hmm. It's spring. Things are springing up. It's new life. Like the warmth of this, like the soil's warming up and all of that. So that's kind of what I'm thinking of is like being supported in new beginnings. But you never know with uh, wild flower, flower essences that you make yourself you can make them and take them and then they will just have like a totally different meaning. Absolutely. Um, or like healing property for you. Oh, I love that. It reminds me of the tarot card, the star, um, kind of like this re regrowth after, you know, something bad or like, um, you know, hope is like mm-hmm. a big part of it. Like things will grow again. And like, uh, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. So that's what's stirring my cauldron. Now, follow-up question in the sexy, sexy voice that Robin and Maria told me I had to do is, 
What is not stirring your cauldron these days? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So lately, what has been kind of bothering me is people on Instagram, it's always social media, first of all, people on Instagram who are just taking their witchcraft and their witch stuff way too seriously. Yes. It's like, just lighten up a little bit. Like you are not some ivory tower high priestess. Right. I mean, maybe you are, but laugh a little. (laughs) Right. This isn't Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Right. Show us that you're a human being. Yeah. It's, it's okay. So just like, yeah, folks who have been taking themselves like a little bit too seriously, um, has just kind of like, I don't know, irked me a tiny bit. Um, I mean, social media is what it is and you do what you will with it. You create your own aesthetic, your own persona, etc. But it's like, I guess the folks that I want to like see, and especially in witchcraft, just like giggle a little. Right. Witchcraft is funny. Totally. It can be hilarious. I was once given a great piece of advice. It was offhand and it wasn't directly given to me, but April Graham of She Is of the Woods posted this thing not that long ago, which was hilarious, where she was talking about this sort of phenomenon about people just being, you know, either like so high up in their towers or, you know, us comparing ourselves to them and whatnot. And she basically just said, you know what? We all take uncomfortable shits. Oh, yeah. Even those people. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is a great equalizer, isn't it? Like, (laughs) no matter how fancy this person is or how many high priestess initiations they have, you know what's happening behind those closed doors. Right. So, yeah, I love that. That's a good one. Yeah. So is it my turn? Do I get to ask you? Oh, yeah, you can definitely. Okay, let's see if I can get my sexy, sexy voice on here. Oh, yeah. All right. Jay. What has been stirring your cauldron? Oh, my cauldron has been very stirred lately. Uh, one of the ones I was talking about uh, yesterday on the podcast was this wonderful young female representation in occultism right now, um, especially with people like Georgina Rose, who's at Dot Darling on a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, the world of occultism is ran very much by old men. Um, And so to find young women showing up who are educated and just smart as shit and here to actually bring us real information, citing old text, like all this stuff, I am here for it. While at the same time, not feeling like they have to sacrifice their femininity or any of the stuff at the same time. Um, And then, of course, she's running with this wonderful kind of girl gang on uh, kind of social media right now, which is like Temperance Alden and Warrior Witch Nike um, and Witch of Wonderless. These are all young women who are Mm -hmm. just smart as hell. And I'm loving seeing this this young female representation in this work Um, that is, you know, apart from just kind of social media influencing all those things, like actually really getting in there and doing the work. Um, I, I love to see it. Yes, because overwhelmingly in occultism, you see older white men. And mm-hmm. I I personally am just like fucking tired of that narrative. Yeah. So, so exhausted by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we got it. Crowley was great. Move on. Like, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. So what is not stirring your cauldron? Mm, equally as good question. Um It's the lack of discernment that I am seeing from people, like, especially just because, like, I mean, I see it on Instagram, I see it on Twitter, um, 
but I have got to help me join the world of, of TikTok lately. And it's really amazing to watch people just like in the comments, someone will be like, oh, um, can I do this or that? And some rando shows up and is like, no, because the evil spirits are just just some total crap misinformation. And the person asking the question is like, great, thank you. And just accepts it and runs along. And I'm like, okay, we need to not just let random strangers give us bad information and then immediately believe it. Like, it's one thing if you're like, oh, that's interesting. Let me look into that. That's different than just, oh, now that's a thing that I know. I'm not going to check it at all. Um, I'm just going to internalize it and take it as truth and then therefore spread it. And that's that's the scary part. And it goes mm-hmm. past just like occult information too. I see a lot in, um, even in comment threads or like posting in like witchy Facebook groups, these people who are like, hi, I'm a 19-year-old girl um, looking in, <laughs> I'm a 19-year-old girl in this location. Does anybody want to be my mentor? And then some creepy rando shows up and is like, I will be your mentor. And they're like, great, I'm a real witch now. And I'm like, hold up. Let's think about this for a minute. First of all, if you're a 19 year old girl, please do not be posting your location on social media and asking to meet up with random strangers. That is how you get kidnapped and dead. So let's not do that. But also just because some rando on the internet is like, yeah, I'm going to be your mentor. doesn't mean that they're qualified does not mean that they are safe, does not mean that their information is right. good or that what they're they going have, to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like that you're they're your best interests are at heart yes. there with that person. Uh, yeah, that's really scary. Absolutely. So I'm like, y'all, we just need to like pause every now and then and just use the old noggin, fire up the old noggin, give it a <laughs> give it a think and um, see where that takes you. I think that's going to be good. Yeah, you know, I'm really curious to see what kind of strains of witchcraft are going to evolve out of like TikTok and Instagram. I feel like Instagram, I mean, obviously Instagram's been around for a hot minute, but like with TikTok, I mean, we already call it witch talk, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm wondering what it will look like in the future and what kind of impact it's going to have because we've already seen what impact... And we are seeing what impact uh, Instagram has on witchcraft, modern witchcraft. So I'm curious to see what this younger form of social media will do for the future of us. I'm already seeing emoji spells. So, you know what? I actually like, I like that. <laughs> You're into it. Into it. Uh, I am. Good boy. I have, I have Aquarius rising. So there's a part of me that's like into that whole like, technology is magic and yeah. our phones are are actually magical rocks <laughs> <laughs> my celestite phone that'll be the new thing is like crystal phone cases i think oh man see th- that's yeah. your millions right there we should start making crystal phone cases anybody listening to this don't steal that we've already copyrighted yeah it. it's ours we've copyrighted it you yeah. can't take it yeah <laughs> All right, you guys, we have a wonderful episode for you guys today where we are going to be talking about folk magic because we realized the other day that we're pretty much a folk magic podcast, 
But we haven't talked about it yet. We haven't told you guys what that means and kind of had a discussion around folk magic. And next week, we are going to have on a very special guest to talk about North American folk magic, which is what Britton and I pretty much specialize in. Mm -hmm. So I would like to start by asking my lovely co-host Britton here, um, why did you kind of end up in the folk magic realm? Like what was there like a decision that made or it just fit right for you or that's just kind of where you ended up? How did you, how'd you get here? Man, y'all might not like my answer, but my first answer is um, that I think just constitutionally speaking, folk magic just appeals to me. I'm into nature I'm into wild spaces. I'm into plants and trees and rocks and the natural world. So I think folk magic just meshes up really well there. Mm -hmm. But I think the other piece of that is that I'm lazy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer. Right? Because ceremonial magic, while it has and has not, like, it draws me in, like Enochian magic is Mm -hmm. something that like I do work with Babylon that I've been really curious about. But when I actually take a look at Enochian magic, like in in its whole form, I'm like, oh, God damn it. This, (laughs) I have to arrange all of these things and spend lots of money to do a ceremony, uh, to summon spirits, et cetera. Uh That's just not my style. I would rather stomp out into the woods with my stang, stick it in the ground, hoop and holler, maybe get naked. Yeah. And spit on it. And spit on or it. Pee, or pee on it. And then pee on it. Yes. And and call it a day. Absolutely. I feel the same way. I have a deep respect for high ceremonial magic. Um, yes. And the people who took the time to find out that if you you know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, if you smith your perfectly level copper table on the hour of Saturn and then do all of this crap, like that is amazing that you figured out that like there are these keys and these doorways and things like that that we can use in order to reach higher. That is amazing. However, Mm -hmm. I do not have the time. I do not have the money. (laughs) I do not have the space. And if, if you do the high ceremonial magic, I love it. I love you. It's just not for me and i feel like there is an intense almost like a a visceral connection with folk magic because like when i i feel like when i do folk magic i feel this very sort of primal energy that i have to sort of tap into in order to get Mm -hmm. it done you know talking about you know going out to the woods and hooting and hollering and doing all this stuff like you have to sort of make it happen with less tools and so Mm -hmm. i find that in kind of a different manner we are doing the same thing as far as trying to unlock doorways to what is above us Um, but our methods of it are different and so I, i do like that kind of folk magic approach to it it's simpler it relies on less not only less ritual but less items and tools that are you know so specific um we're, we're kind of talking in, in one of our episodes earlier about like, you know, differences between like, you know, the high magic and the low mag- magic and the high magic is like, you know, the strong hand is, is you know, your right hand because or, or, you know, your power hand is your right hand because of it's the right side connotations to things like masculinity and the sun. But then the left hand is, you know, the, the mysteries and the moon and the feminine or whatever. And in folk magic, we're like, which hand do you write with? 
<laughs> like, yeah. which one's your good hand? <laughs> like, right? That's your power hand. You know, it's just we 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 cut straight through it a little bit more. Right. It feels way more like customizable. Like it it fits and suits the person that's operating the folk magic. So it's mm-hmm. like if there's certain things you can't do, don't do them. Yeah. You don't have to do them. Absolutely. If there's certain things that you excel at, then great. Like it's there for you already. And you'll be like very proficient in that form of magic. Absolutely. Um, or that like crafting of it. Mm. I love that. Which I think kind of comes to um, like differentiating between high and low magic. Mm. So low magic is what we would refer to. I don't really like using that kind of binary of low and high magic, Mm -hmm. but in a way it works, I suppose, but low magic is folk magic. And then high magic would be considered like more ceremonial Mm -hmm. ritualistic magic. Absolutely. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I understand why people have problems with it, but it's one of those things where it's like people forget that we're not necessarily like being demeaning towards folk magic by calling it low magic is kind of like where we're reaching folk magic is is magic of the people it's very much kind of earth-based as far as our needs and things like that are concerned whereas you know Mm -hmm. high ceremonial magic tends to be very upward reaching you know trying to you know unlock gates and speak with angels and you know get a view of god or these things like that so it's, it's all about kind of where we're focused and in folk magic we don't tend to try to summon an angel into, you know, a circle or anything like that. We just kind of Mm -hmm. know that they're around and go with that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that kind of segues into our perfect kind of starting place is what is folk magic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is it? What is it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we don't know. It's it's spitting in his pan. No, so I always uh, tell people that folk magic is literally just that. It's it's magic of the folk. It's people's yes. magic. It's common magic. It's everyday magic. Um, and that's why I really love it is because it's so utilitarian. It is there to meet your needs, whatever your needs are, whether that is someone on the farm had an accident and is bleeding and you need to stop the flow of blood so that they live um, or it's, you know, how to attract enough money to make it through the end of the month. Um, you know, it's, it's very mm-hmm. useful magic for things that everyday people run up against. And so it's really right. made to be helpful. Yeah. Like, he, okay, here's an example that just popped into my head. Um, okay. This is kind of a content warning on like animals being hurt. It's not gory, um, but a a couple years ago, I was house sitting for this ranch house and um, I'd have to drive a four wheeler, uh, like an ATV four wheeler to check this irrigation ditch every day. And at the time I was fostering a red healer. Now, if you have ever met a cow dog or a healer, you know, they are very intense individuals. Mm-hmm. Well, she really loved to bite the tires of the, of the, uh, four wheeler. Mm -hmm. And one day I accidentally hit her. It was the worst feeling in the world. And now I am traumatized. If there's any, I do not let my dog run around any vehicles. (laughs) (laughs) She ended up, um, it basically punched her kidney and we lived so far out in the woods that we could not take her to the vet immediately. So I looked up in the Carmina Gedalica It's a Scottish book of folk magic. I don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly. This will be in the show notes, um, the correct title of the book. 
and you can find it on sacred text. I actually found a spell, a spoken charm to rid an animal of, um, red urine, i.e. a bloody urine. So she was pissing blood and I prayed over her and I shit you not cleared up the next day. Oh, I love that. Yes. That that's folk magic. Absolutely. It's you, you say a charm. It's always very simple. And that's why I really like folk magic too, is because it doesn't require a lot of things. And I think especially Mm -hmm. in this day and age, people are very much obsessed with having all the right things and the special crystals and, and all this stuff. And folk magic is like, you get the butcher knife from the drawer you point it at your enemy and say, be gone. And then you put it back in the drawer. <laughs> like It's like, it's not, yeah, it, you just do it and then you move on. But that's, mm-hmm. I love that story because that's a perfect example of it. And people too, both Britain and I have sort of backgrounds. You're actually Pennsylvania Dutch, right? Yeah, I have Appalachian, Pennsylvania Dutch, and I was raised in the South. So I was in contact with a lot of hoodoo practitioners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have a deep love of Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic. And I am not at all Pennsylvania Dutch, at least not that I know of. Um, but the, uh, the long lost friend is a book yes. very similar to the one that Britain was talking about from Scotland. Um, and the long lost friend is kind of the Pennsylvania Dutch version of that. It's just a book full of these charms and most of them are spoken, um, for all kinds of things, uh, things like that, you know, to stop red urine or to mm-hmm. relieve a toothache or to um, all of these things that were so important back then for people who didn't have doctors or or money for things like lawyers or, you know, whatever it was. So we had to turn mm-hmm. to magic. Folk magic came out of necessity, um, yes. which I think is why it's so powerful. It, it works mm-hmm. because the people who created it didn't have an alternative option. Yes, it's created out of need. It's magic of the people and for the people and by the people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, this is kind of a controversial um, way to go. So I think there's multiple ways of answering this, but is folk magic the same thing as witchcraft? No. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel it's a no. <laughs> Would you like to expand on that? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do my best. Then this is this is only opinion. This is not like what I feel would be a universal truth. Yeah. I do not feel that folk magic is the same as witchcraft, um, because not all witches practice folk magic. Some witches practice only ritualistic high magic, mm. uh, which is not folk magic. Just like. People who practice folk magic don't always identify as a witch. Mm. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that folk magic and witchcraft have a very intimate relationship with each other and they are very connected, um, but they are not the same. I agree. Because you can have Christians practicing folk magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have people practicing folk magic and they have no idea that they're practicing folk magic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that distinction between them, that they are separate. And I think this also comes down to the folk practicing it as well. You know, a lot of these people who created folk magic and were really practicing this back in the day, and even up until today, will be very offended 
if you say, oh, you're doing witchcraft, they're going to be like, no, the hell I'm not. This is something that's completely different. I am not a witch. Um, And I think that's important to make space for and to honor that. While we're all dealing with magic, magic is simply like this undercurrent, like it's, it's like underground water and the different paths of magic are like flowers that pop up on the surface. Like there's witchcraft and then there's folk magic and then there's mysticism and things like that. And it's all magic, but it's, it's the different way of approaching it, the different way of handling it that I think is important. I like to say that we're all sitting at the same table, but we are not the same mm-hmm. in that respect. Right. When you're talking about kind of the ritualistic aspect of, you know, witchcraft and things like that being different. So if those of you out there who are wondering, you know, is what I do folk magic or is it, um, you know, witchcraft or ceremonial? If you are casting a circle before you do your spells, you are probably not doing folk magic. Um, Right. That's that tends to kind of be one of the, the big distinctions that we we get right out of the door. Um, That doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you can't, you know, do a little circle before you do your folk magic or whatever. I mean, you do you, but um, that, that tends to be kind of where the line starts to be made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I never cast a circle in the traditional sense of calling the quarters, such as, Mm -hmm. you know, like what's very popular in Wicca and whatnot. Um, I don't do any of that. I will do like an energetic grounding and centering practice to connect myself to like the currents and the energies and whatnot and to connect with my spirits. But I don't like cast a circle proper and have never felt the need to. And I do see that as a very common question. Like, do I need to cast a circle before I do my my magic or, you know, even folk magic and whatnot? And the answer, in my opinion, is no, you don't. Mm-hmm. I like That's that. That's just me. Yeah. And of course, like, eh, I, I feel like both things are like circumstantial, depending on what it is that you're trying to do. If you feel you need right. a boundary, sure. But it's whether right. it's necessary for all spells, things like that. Definitely not. Um, In the context of folk magic, specifically, yeah. like, yeah, if you are trying to like do some necromantic work or something mm-hmm. of that pers- or, um, persuasion, persuasion. Thank you. <laughs> you might want to cast a circle. Yeah, that, that, would, that would be a good idea. I mean, like a little containment sometimes. But I, I think that people really need to have a little bit more respect for folk magic. Because when we come to like neo-pagan reconstructionism that's happening these days, there's this sort of belief that, you know, before Christianity came along, that everyone was just like, it was just like a a, a witch fest all the time, super powerful witches, all this stuff. And then Christianity came along and they put all the secrets of witchcraft into a little box and then kind of secret society shuffled this little box around, hiding it from Christianity until they could get it to Gerald Garner in the 1950s. And then he could reveal all of the old pre-Christian secrets. And that's just not how this works. Like, this is not like the Holy Grail and the Knights Templar. Like, that's not, that's not what happened. In fact, all of the, a lot of these people who were quote-unquote witches and keeping this alive were also Christian people who were folk magicians doing this work. And they're the ones who kind of kept this information alive through, you know, Christian overtaking and 
That's why, you know, we have all these things like every time, you know, Valentine's Day rolls around, everyone's all upset because this is actually an ancient pagan thing, blah, 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 blah. Well, do you know why we still have like any remnants of this at all is because of folk magic. It's because of these people who, when they were conquered by um, Christianity, decided to kind of keep this stuff alive. And the Christian church was like, fine, we'll just call it something different and move on. So Mm -hmm. we need to kind of respect folk magicians in in that way that they were keeping this all alive for us until we could you know later on pretend like they had nothing to do with it um so i think that's something that we need to think about right yeah i feel it's it's a false idea that there has been a a a unbroken thread of pagan witchcraft practices through the ages Um, during the middle ages, like the 14th, 15th, 16th century, everybody was more or less a Christian Mm -hmm. and they had to go to church Yeah, and they were still practicing folk magic right alongside Christianity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Witchcraft and folk magic will always be influenced by dominant culture. That Mm -hmm. is just something that we have to make peace with. And so this idea that there was like the secret society of, non-Christian underground witches that were shuttling this ancient information, it, it, that's not really how it happened. Right. We just, mm-hmm. we just continued on the old traditions the best that we could through, you know, all kinds of things, you know, whether it's, you know, Valentine's day, that was Luper Kelly or whatever people are talking about, um, or Easter was something else before it was Easter or whatnot. We should be, mm-hmm as much as people are mad about the fact that this was an ancient sort of pagan thing that's been changed. The reason why we still have it at all is because of this kind of folk project uh, practice of the people bringing it forward Mm -hmm. under new disguises and things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And it doesn't make it any less powerful. Yeah, absolutely. To think about as well, just because it has, um, Christian overtones mm. doesn't make it any less powerful. And that's something that I've been, I've been really going through a process of reconciliation with my Christian past and enfolding that back into my witchcraft practice mm-hmm. with more intention is something that I've really been sitting with lately and how that's going to look for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that Christianity has done a number and like has caused pain for so many people. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there's like an immense amount of transformation um, that we can go through when we, when we kind of turn to that shadow and take a, take a look at it. Absolutely. I agree 100%. -hmm. And people forget too, that like, you know, when we talk about, you know, the old magic and like, you know, witches back in the day were so much more powerful and that power didn't come from the fact that they were pagan, right? That, that power came from the fact that they needed it more back then. They didn't have mm-hmm. the things that we have to take care of them. You know, back in the day, you didn't just have a hospital in every town and, you know, a cell phone to call people and um, science to help you do all kinds of stuff, right? You needed magic. And that need is what made it way more powerful i feel back in the day because people needed it more they relied upon it more um it wasn't Mm -hmm. powerful because it was pagan it was powerful because it it was needed and i think that's something that 
we forget about a lot. A book that I'm going to reference through this podcast uh, until we begin the podcast and finish doing this podcast, (laughs) not this episode, but the podcast in its entirety, is the book Cunning Folk and Familiar Spirits by Emma Wilby. And what she describes in the beginning of the book is just the life that people led during, say, 17th century Scotland. Uh, They were living in like, you know, mud, mud huts and like conditions that were extremely hard to Mm. to live in. And it was often under duress and extreme physical, psychological stresses that spirits revealed themselves to the wit to witches. So um, Bessie Dunlop, who's the primary witch that they examine in Cunning Folk Familiar Spirits, her husband is ill. Her child, I think, had recently died. Her cow was sick. And I think she herself was ill. And she was driving cattle back into their pasture. And that's when she encountered, I can't remember the name of her spirit, but she encountered her helping spirit that gave her spells to help heal people and to help like take care of, take care of herself. So it's like under those extremes that folks encountered spirit. And we don't really like, we do go through crises nowadays, but it was very different then than it Mm -hmm. is now. Yeah. The danger was more immediate. The fact that you could die at any moment was way higher than we have now. Um, Mm -hmm. Back then, you know, you were taking a walk and you fell down something. There's, there's no hospitals. There's no one around to help you. Like you're just screwed at that point. So mm-hmm. the the need for it was so much stronger. And I think that's why a lot of the magic back in the day was stronger as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Should we take a couple of questions? Because we do have a few of them here. Uh, before we started recording this, we sent out a little thing on our Instagram, which if you are not following it, we are at Invoking Witchcraft on Instagram. Come hang out with us there. And you can sign up for our coven there as well. Just shameless plug. But we got some interesting questions about folk magic that I think uh, we should definitely address. So let's start with this yeah. first one here. Um, this person says that they are curious about the P on it aspect, something that we've been talking about here a lot and kind of our um, unofficial slogan so far has been P on it. Um, and they want to know, they're like, you know, urine, blood, feces, the icky stuff, you know, what, what's going on there? Why are we peeing on stuff? And I'm going to hand this over to Britain because she had a wonderful answer for it on the So You Want to Be a Witch podcast. Oh boy, I'm going to have to try and remember what I said. I don't remember. I don't remember what I said, but um, these are effluvia, is what this is called. Um, the things from our body, like urine, blood, feces, but it forges a direct connection to us or to a person. So if you want to have a high impact spell, you don't reach for glitter, you reach for their hair you reach for their nails and you're, you have a direct connection to them. So that spell is going to be, I mean, extremely powerful. Yeah. Way more <laughs> than if you just used flower petals and glitter, like. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can use a name paper where you write that person's name down. And I'm talking about doing magic on another person. Mm-hmm. Um, so this could be baneful. It could be love magic. It could be just beneficial magic to help heal. Uh, you could write their name down on a piece of paper. That could help. But the best bang for your buck 
is going to be having hair, nails, or something like that. And then in your own spell work, using urine or blood as well is going to be extremely powerful. Um, and I think maybe what I had said in that other podcast was that witchcraft is of the body. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were? Yeah. yeah. So I feel that it's that direct connection with the body that makes using these these items really important. They don't have to be in every spell that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can use other things. But if you want your mojo bag for courage and success to be more powerful, you might want to put a fingernail in there so that the work of your hands um, is bolstered Mm -hmm. or, you know, a hair from the crown of your head um, so that you act with wisdom and have success. You're crowned with success. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it goes back to as well that, you know, as much as we are unafraid of Christianity, you know, in this podcast, we also have to remember too, that when kind of the old ways were taken over and Christianity was kind of put on top of everything, we were taught to have fear of our bodies, you know, fear of our sexuality, fear of our fluids, fear, you know, all the stuff, you know, everything was icky. We weren't supposed to let it touch us, any of the stuff. And so to overcome that programming and to, be unafraid of your own body, of your own fluids, of these things, I think is very rebellious and very much in contact with this idea of witchcraft. You know, you always talk about witchcraft having a rebellious spirit. And I think that that's part of it. Plus, Mm -hmm. there's something that happens magically in which we are forced to overcome our own discomfort that I feel is very powerful, whether that is peeing into a jar, you might not like it, you might not want to do it, you might think it's gross, but the fact that you go through with it anyway shows spirit that you are willing to do this, that you are willing to put in the work. And I think that's important. Same thing where like, if you're going to be doing bloodletting for a ritual, um, blood that is freely given, you know, in the the idea of people who menstruate, um, that blood is very different than the blood that you get when you cut into your skin because you have Mm -hmm. to override your animal survival instincts in your brain that say, don't do this. And when you're able to overcome that and still do it, I feel like there's something very primal. There's something very powerful about that where you show that you are willing to do this in order to get something done. Um, So I think it's, it's, very powerful to work with our own bodily fluids, whether it is, you know, urine or blood or, you know, our saliva, all these things carry um, very important energies that I think we should be tapping into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what we're speaking to when we talk about peeing on it. All of what we said is what is encapsulated in the pee on it slogan. (laughs) 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 exactly exactly it's overcoming it's being rebellious it's being powerful and yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah so don't be afraid to pee on it a little bit or spit on it or Mm -hmm. pluck a hair or take a fingernail clipping yeah get weird you can also yeah get weird and you can also exercise your skills of stealth uh when gathering personal concerns of another person Mm-hmm. Um, which might be considered a taboo subject by some, but y'all, this is witchcraft. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> dark and <laughs> well, no, I had, I very sneakily 
stole somebody's nail clippings once. Uh, I was very proud of myself the way that I did it. I don't really want to describe it too much here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm very into that. Yeah. And you're right. Some people will, will find that idea uncomfortable, but hey, this is witchcraft. Like we're here to do the uncomfortable work. That is why witchcraft for pretty much all time until the last 10 years has not really been for everybody. It's because there is uncomfortable work to be done and you have to make peace with that. And I think mm -hmm. that's important. Okay. We have another question this next one is kind of an amalgamation a lot of people wanted to know um, how to get in touch with the folk magic of their own uh, people whether it's their own ancestral lineage so say you know you have a swedish family you know what is you know sweden's folk magic and all that because every place has folk magic all people from all countries from all ethnic backgrounds have their own folk magic um so how do we get in touch with our own family's folk magic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you have access to this or if you have like, you can just talk to your family first off, you can communicate with your grandparents. If you have access to your grandparents and ask them questions, um, maybe not ask them directly. Just ask them like, what did you do on such and such a holiday? Um, what did you do for this certain type of thing? Um, but the other way to do that, if you don't have, because not everyone has intact families mm -hmm. um, and whatnot. And sometimes we don't know where we come from. Like a, a part of my family, there's a giant missing chunk and it's a big unknown. So what I recommend is doing a DNA test and finding out what your actual heritage, like your blood heritage is, and then follow the blood. So myself, for example, I made a really fascinating connection when I did a DNA test. I have long since, like the day that I was born, I was given a teddy bear. And mm -hmm. out of all of my siblings, I'm the oldest of six, they all had blankets and I was the only one with a teddy bear. <laughs> and bears have been super important to me my whole life. Well, come to find out when I did a DNA test, I found out that I had Sami in me. And Sami are the indigenous people of Lapland or like Scandinavia. And they worshiped and honored bears as a part of their culture. Mm -hmm. And it like all this stuff just clicked for me. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so then I went down a rabbit hole of like learning about uh, specifically Finnish Sami people. And so that's a way that you can do that is like you just follow your, your lineage and whatnot. Mm. And that's a super, it's really fun. You get to learn a lot and then just buy books and then be a book nerd. And be a book nerd. And don't be afraid of academic sources. I think yep. in these days, witches don't want to touch anything that's like a book, like an anthropology book on certain locations and whatnot. But those are going to be very important for this work, especially in folk magic, because remember, folk magic is of the people. And if you don't know the people, then you can't practice the magic. So I always tell people like, of course, talk with your grandparents, um, but don't use the words folk magic, because number one, they won't know what you're talking about, or they will completely shut down um, because they're afraid. So mm -hmm. 
don't use that, but ask about things that you know in your culture. And even if maybe, you know, you don't have an intact family, you don't have anybody to ask, but you found out that you are, let's just go with Swedish. I don't know why I'm on the Swedish train today, but say that you find out that you're Swedish and you, you know, talk to Swedish people or read books on Swedish customs, things like um, weddings and funerals, especially funerals. There's all kinds of reasons why they did what they did. As far as, you know, after the funeral, we then, you know, pour something on the ground or whatever it is, or like with weddings, like Greek folk, I believe it is, will like spit on the bride as she's going down the aisle to avert the evil eye. Uh, Yeah, Um, that's my kind of wedding. Right, exactly. So I'm like... I might have gotten that for a movie. I don't know. If you're Greek and you're listening to this and that's a terrible fallacy, please forgive me. Um, but this is just kind of what I'm talking about. It, it's it's the little things or find out things that were important to your culture. So if we're still going on like the Swedish thing or whatever, like Swedish folks are like really into saunas. And I don't yes. know what's going on with that, but I bet you money that if you started talking to Swedish people about saunas, that there is hella folk magic in there about you know why you do it or maybe if you use certain plants in there for some reason or the water comes from somewhere or you're like i'm betting that you know any of these big cultural norms wherever people gather you're going to find folk magic whether it's in the woodworking of your people or you know the house building design as well will often be folk magic you know we put six pillars in this for a reason or we made this window crooked so that the witches couldn't get in or things Mm -hmm. like that it's everywhere you just have to learn about the people and the folk magic will show up yes i want to go back to something that you mentioned around academic sources I would almost say go straight to academic sources. 100%. um, Because you're going to get oftentimes a lot of fluff in air quotes magic books. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always good if you ever do get a magic book or book on magic or folk magic or witchcraft, flip to the back and look at the bibliography and look at their sources that's where you can then expand upon your reading list. But mm-hmm. academic books are more often than not, you just have to read through the lines. Mm-hmm. You just got to learn how to read the academic text. And I'll tell y'all, I'm not an academic. Um, my education ended at a very early age. And if I can do it, you can do it. Yes. <laughs> so get your academic books. The book that I was referencing earlier, Cunning Folk and Familiar Spirits, is an academic book. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's chock full of folk magic. So definitely do not overlook your academic books, Mm -hmm. like for Finnish folk magic and whatnot and customs, I found a book called laps and labyrinths. And it was all about the architecture of Asami buildings and how they worked with bear spirits and Mm. the menstrual cycles of women and like, that kind of magic and tree magic. It was really wild. And I did not expect to find that in that book. Finland is so cool. Like magically speaking, they're amazing. But yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Do not be afraid of the academic books. And I, I want to talk about two things on that. Number one, be very wary of any history presented to you in a quote unquote magical book or like a witch book. Um, The history is often really really incorrect because we have what we call like reconstructionism where people are telling you things like oh wicca is an ancient pre-christian religion no it was developed in the 1950s like that that's not yeah that is not correct and a lot of people i feel 
And if this is you, I'm not calling you out. I promise it's not too late to change. A lot of people, I think, avoid academic sources because they're afraid of realizing that they've been wrong the entire time. Right. And realizing that someone's going to be like, oh, it turns out the maiden, the mother and the crone is not an ancient thing that was going around. That's actually a very recent thing. And I want to challenge you to not be afraid to be wrong. Right. Because remember, witchcraft sometimes requires us to be uncomfortable in order to grow. And this is one of those moments. Grab an academic book. Find out if you are wrong. And if you are wrong, that's okay. Mm -hmm. You can now be right and move on with your life. So yes, do not be afraid. A great book for the resurgence of witchcraft that I recommend everybody read is the rebirth of witchcraft by Dorian Valiente Mm -hmm. gives you a full outline of how witchcraft had a resurgence, especially from the Wicca perspective, because Wicca is kind of what like flipped the, the switch Mm-hmm. In the like 30s, 40s, and 50s, and whatnot, um, in the witchcraft movement. So that's a really great book to get your history. And when you know your history, you can start to fact check stuff. Like it really helps just with discernment, going back to discernment. So important. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Yes. Yes. I think that's really important because you can't build discernment skills if you don't know the information. And mm-hmm. so the, the first step to avoiding being scammed or taken for a ride or being given bad information is to do your research. Um, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. All right. We have one more here that I want cool. to talk about real quick. Um, this person says, what would happen if we dabble into folk magic that is not of our tradition or culture? Um, they go on to say, I wouldn't really do that, but out of curiosity, would it anger the spirits of that folk practice? Do you want to go first or should I go first on that one? <laughs> that one's an interesting um, one. It is an interesting one. I think it really, really depends. Um, so like myself, for example, I have like Appalachian heritage, Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, I was around hoodoo and conjure as a child in the uh, American South. And I think that if I were to combine like or cross swords with, uh, sorry, (laughs) I couldn't help but giggle at that Um, sword crossing. I don't think the spirits of like Appalachia and like the Pennsylvania Dutch would be like angry. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they would harmonize well, but I'm, I would like to be in conversation with a person who asked this question because I'm curious what that would look like for them. Like, what does it look like to cross over magical traditions and how are you combining them? Yeah. I think that's, that's an important thing to talk about is, you know, how is it being done? I I don't feel like, so here's the, here's the thing that I'm seeing a lot of right now, because I've been on witch talk for about two days now. And I'm like, dear Lord, what is happening out here? There's this whole belief system that if you touch anything from a different culture, then the spirits will come and they will get you. And like, it's this whole like boogeyman scenario. That's not how it works. The spirits aren't necessarily going to come and get you. You, you might simply be an asshole and that's a whole different thing, right? There aren't necessarily always spiritual, um, consequences. Now, that being said, 
if we are going to be working with the folk magic of a tradition that is not ours or a culture that is not ours, we have to do our due diligence and make sure that we are understanding that magic and not just going, oh, I use a lamp, therefore I do hoodoo and you know nothing about hoodoo. We have to know where the magic is coming from and make sure that we are in alignment with that. So for instance, if you are going to do hoodoo, people don't realize that the power of hoodoo, where the the source of the power in hoodoo has a lot to do with the ancestors and not just your personal ancestors, but specifically the hoodoo ancestors, those slaves and those people who created this work. And if you're not in tune with them and they're and or not in alignment with them, then yeah, you might be in for a rough ride. But if you understand that and you respect them, then I think it would be okay a little bit to kind of cross into that world. But again, it all comes down to respect and understanding. If you don't have those two things, then I do think there could be some trouble for you either socially, because that can be very damaging to this culture. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, spiritually, I don't I don't feel like just because I'm not Pennsylvania Dutch and I hang up a, a, a hex sign on the front of my house because they're beautiful. No Pennsylvania Dutch spirits are going to come and get me because I'm Latino. Like, that's not yeah. that's not how this works. Now, remember, too, we're talking about folk magic here and not the bigger things. So this does not translate to things like voodoo. You do not just dabble in voodoo. You you will then die. Um, so so in, in die. that case, uh, I would say no. But as far as like folk magic is concerned, because folk magic tends to be tends to spread easier, not have too heavy of, you know, big spirits in it that I, I wouldn't think that would be so much of a danger. But again, mm-hmm. it comes down to respect and understanding. Those are two things that you have to have if you're going to do that. Right. Especially if you're working within the context of North American folk magic, Mm -hmm. which is something we're going to be talking about in depth with a PhD next week. I'm so excited about that. Uh, Yeah, it is going to be such a fun interview. All right, you guys. Well, we are... We are about right here at the time. So I think we are going to be signing off. Thank you for hanging out with us and talking about all things witchy and folk magic. And remember... Do witchcraft. Do it. Bye. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.